So we started a series last week entitled Worship. Worship. And when you think about worship, automatically you probably think about religious, something religion. Um, but I want to just say to you that worship is more than just religion. That worship is, has to do with a lifestyle. That worship isn't something that, uh, you know, religious people do. It's what people do. Religion is what people do, or excuse me, worship is what people do. And that what Jesus described it as, he described it as whatever that thing is in your life that is your treasure, that thing that is the most important thing to you, the thing that is the most valuable thing in, the, in your life. It could be something, it could be someone, that whatever it is that is on the throne of your life. And you can know how to identify what that thing is on your throne by following the breadcrumbs. And you can follow it by maybe looking back at your finances. You can follow it doing that. You can follow it by looking back at your calendar, your schedule. You can sort of follow it by doing that. You can kind of, you know, there's, there's ways to which you can identify what is on the throne of your life. And then what Jesus said is, whatever that is, that's the thing that you worship. And it's not a religious thing. It's a, it's a, it's a what we do thing. It's what we're made to do. We're made to worship. We're made to lock into something. And that thing was, that we're made to lock into, is, his name is Jesus. That's what we're, we're made to lock into. And that's where you'll find fulfillment in your life. That's where you'll find satisfaction in your life. You won't find it in any other things other than that. So we talked about last week, what is worship? Well, and that thing that you treasure, that's where your heart will go. You know that? that your heart is made to follow something. Your heart is not meant to lead. It's never meant to lead. I, um, you, I know you can buy these t-shirts out there. Don't buy that t-shirt that says, follow your heart. Don't buy it. Okay, this is a terrible message to share. This is a terrible message to give to your kids. Don't follow your heart. Your heart, the Bible says in Jeremiah that your heart is deceptively wicked. It says that it's beyond cure. It's irrational. You, you know what I'm talking about when you get emotional sometimes. Do you ever act irrational? I do, I do. And that's what your heart will do. So if you're following your heart, it's just like trouble. You're, you're doomed. You're gonna go down paths that you don't wanna go down. So the heart, though, is meant to, to, to follow something that you find value. That's what your heart will do. So if you lock into finances, guess where your heart will love? Money. If you lock into your kids and your world revolves around your kids, then guess where your heart will be? That's where your heart will go. But if you're, if you're locked into a, a relationship with Jesus and you want to see that relationship with Jesus thrive in your life, Guess what will happen? Your heart will eventually lock into that. And then you will start to become emotional about it. And then when you sing these songs and you see the people just kind of doing this and you're kind of going, what are they doing? What are they? That's kind of weird. Eventually you're going to be doing this. You know why? Because your heart is now engaged. Your heart is now locked into what we're singing. Worship just happened. By the way, worship is happening right now. I always get left out of the worship service equation. It's like we're going to have praise and worship for 30 minutes, and then the pastor's going to preach. Wait, that isn't worship? Come on, it's all part of the worship. Like, we're worshiping right now. But when you leave here, you can also continue in your worship. When you go to a restaurant, you can also continue in your worship. When you get cut off at Pontiac Trail... 
you can also continue in your worship. When you get home and the kids are like driving you nuts, you should still continue in your worship. Are you with me? Worship is a thing thing. I'll let you write that down. Worship is a thing thing. It's not a religious thing. It's a lifestyle. And here's the other thing. You won't even say what it is that you treasure. You don't need to say it. It's how you live your day-to-day. It's not even about what you say. It's about how you live out your day-to-day. That's what you will know. That's how you'll discover what it is that you worship. So now we talked about what is worship. Why does worship matter? Why does worship matter? So we're going to spend the next three weeks talking about, maybe four, why worship matters. The reason number one of why worship matters is this, because there's war over your worship. There's war over your worship. there's, There's an enemy, okay? There's an adversary, okay? He wants your heart. You understand? He wants your heart. He wants to distract you. He wants to get you, know, get you to believe something that isn't true about God because he's a liar. He's a liar. And he's the God of this world, according to the scripture. It says that he's the God of this world. In other parts of scripture, it says that he's the ruler of this world. It says that in other scriptures, it says that he's the prince of the power of the air. What does that mean? That means he's the prince of the power of the earth's atmosphere. Like he's, this is his ground. This is his playing ground. This is his place where he's gonna seep into your thought life and try to get you to believe something, get you to think something, get you to feel something that about you, or more importantly, about God that isn't true. And anything that he can do to lure you away from having a heart for God, he's, that's what he's gonna do. Okay, that's what he's gonna do. It's in scripture, it's described this way. Excuse me, guys, sorry, pardon me. Pardon me, guys. Heads up, heads up, heads up, heads up. Jesse, come here for a second. Just hold on to that, don't snare yourself, all right? All right, just hold on to that. It's described, don't cut me either. It's described in this way. Now, I brought my worms. Gummy worms, hold that. Thank you, Carly. It's described in this way. He's just described. Thank you, Jesse. He's described as saying he just wants you to, so he's gonna, like we do like with our fishing, right? He's just trying to bait you. Go ahead, take it. Go ahead. No, oh, 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 I, no. He's got, he's, that's what he wants to do. He's, just, he's like, hey, Nathan, huh, huh? Whoa, come on, grab a hold of it. No, grab, oh, I wouldn't, I would be careful because I'm gonna snag you, right? Because it's like, this is the way that it's described. It's described as he's like, he wants to, he wants to snare you. He wants to lure you. He, he wants to like put the bait on, right? And so it may not be, you know, it may not be gummy worms for you. Anybody was enticed by that? Was anybody like wanting some gummy worms? Here you go. You can have those. Okay. You know, it, it may be, it, you know, it, this, this, is, this might be more enticing for you, right? Oh, yeah. Now we're talking. Now we're tempted, right? 
whoa, hey, you better be careful. You better be careful. You know, and he's, and he, you know, it's not just for front row. You know, he can, you know, cast it out to where you are, you know, back row. You know, he can cast it out. He can get all the way up to the balcony, you know, if, if he chooses, because he wants, he wants you, just like we, when we go fishing, he wants to be able to snare you. I'll cut you, man, and I won't even, I'll cut you. Now, that's, that's the imagery, but I think the reality, though, is when it comes to, you know, and, and by the way, you know he's described, he's described as the tempter, the tempter. And, you know, and I think the reality, though, is more like this. Isn't this the reality? Like every day, it's all around us, isn't it? Do I just look foolish or what? Like, this is why these things are only recorded. They're not like, you know, video recorded. Like, these are, this is the reality of what we face every single day. Everywhere we look, there's these temptations, isn't there? Everywhere we go, there's these temptations, and there's many, many more. I mean, you can add, you know, a hundred more things to my little helmet here. But isn't this more of an accurate description? Yes? No? Maybe so? All right. Illustration, God bad. All right. All right. Here you go. Hold that. That's more of the reality. That's the reality when it comes to temptation. That's the reality when it comes to, if he can, you can just set it down. Relax. Here you go. I'm done with it. That's the reality when it comes to the war over your worship. That if he can just sort of put the, you know, the, the, the bait out there, and if he can kind of dangle it in front of you and get you to try to grab at it, and then he's now snared you. He's now hooked you. And it's now something that was maybe once innocent, maybe just a you know, pastime, maybe just a habit or a hobby or something that you just thought, you know, this won't hurt me. But now it's something that rules you. Now it's something that has your heart. And if he can get you to believe that these things, whatever that may be for you, Whatever your treasure is, if he can get you to believe that these things are the things that are going to make you happier, these things are going to make you more fulfilled in your life, then, and he's got you away from a heart for God, then he's won the battle. He's won the battle. He is looking to take you out and to get you to never in your life Lock into the things of God and never allow your heart to be where God wants it to be. Are you with me? This is what he'll do. And he, and he did it with Jesus. He did it with Jesus. You're not exempt. Jesus wasn't even exempt. He tried with him. Now, why was Jesus tempted? Couple, couple reasons. Couple reasons why Jesus was tempted. First, because so that he can sympathize with our temptations. 
so he can sympathize with our temptations. The reason why Jesus was tempted, the reason why God allowed Jesus to be tempted was so that he can be the one who understands that you and I are tempted, that you and I every day are faced with, wherever we look, with different kinds of bait, different kinds of things that lure you away from God. So he can sympathize. It says it, says it in Hebrews chapter number four in verse 15 and 16. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Jesus was tempted, yet he didn't give in to the temptation. He didn't sin throughout. And he is the one who understands how it is that you are tempted, how to defeat the temptation and defeat the tempter. This is what he, the reason, one of the reasons why he was tempted. The second reason is this. He is our strength over our temptations. He is our strength over our temptations. That he didn't rely on his divine power for him to overcome temptations, but that he relied on spiritual resources that are available to us. Jesus said, I want you to understand that I'm the one who has given you the ability to overcome your temptation, that he is our strength over our temptation. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says this. 1 Corinthians 10.13. No temptation has overtaken you but such as is common to man. So all of these temptations, you're, all, you're the temptations that you're going through, other people go through. The temptations that you're dealing with, the bait that is in front of you, other people deal with those same things. There's no temptation that is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you, look at it says, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. That God says, listen, I am giving you a way out. I'm not gonna allow you to be tempted beyond you know, what you are able, and I'm gonna give you an escape. I'm gonna give you a way out, and I'm gonna allow you to be able to endure it as you're getting out of the trap as you're trying to sidestep the bait that is set before you, that is trying to take your heart. He is our strength over our temptations. That's what he is. He is your resource. Jesus relied on resources that are available to you and available to me. He didn't use his deity to overcome the power of the tempter. He used things that are available for us to overcome temptation. He's coming after you. Do you hear me? He's coming after you. He's trying to set traps. He's putting things in place. He's orchestrating things for you to stumble and to fall. No one is exempt from those things. No one. So let's look at what Jesus did. Matthew 4, verse number one. Look what it happens here. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit. So that's important to understand. Jesus was led up by the Spirit. God led him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. 
And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. Well, that's kind of an understatement, don't you think? Like 40 days, 40 nights without food, he's starving, okay? Verse 3. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. Now, here's what the tempter is doing here. The tempter is trying to get Jesus to question his father's love for him. The tempter is trying to get Jesus to believe that God, his heavenly father, is holding out on him. He's going, wait a second, wait a second. Jesus, if you really are the son of God, if you really claim to be God's son and your father in heaven is perfect, why is he allowing you to be in this hot, desolate, isolated, barren wilderness alone? If your father really does care about you, why would he allow you to go through this? Why would he allow you to experience this? Why would he put you in this place of isolation? Why would he put you in this place of, you know, of no resources and you have nothing that you need, nothing that is meeting your needs? Why would God, why would your father do that to you, Jesus, if you are the son of God? And so why don't you, Jesus, just start taking matters into your own hands? If your father is holding out on you, why don't you just start taking matters into your own hands? This is what he's saying to them. He's saying, listen, saying to Jesus, he said, listen, Jesus, come on. You have the power. You have the power to command these stones to be bread so that you can just satisfy yourself. So you can self-satisfy. So you can self gratify. You have the power to do that, Jesus. Why aren't you? Because it doesn't seem like your father in heaven cares about you. Can anybody relate? Can anybody think, think in their life, wait a second, maybe God's holding out on me. Boy, that's ploy number one. That's Satan's approach to us Every single time. If he can get you and me to question God's love, he's going to snare us. If he can get you to think that God Almighty is holding out on you and doesn't have the best intentions for you, you're going to get snared. You're going to get snared. He did it to Adam and Eve, remember? He told Eve, he said, hey, Eve, God said that you can't eat of that fruit of the tree? And Eve said, yeah. She said, if, if, if we do, we're going to die. And you know what he said? You're not going to die. What a lie. You're not going to die. This isn't going to hurt you. As a matter of fact, you know what it's going to do? It's going to enlighten you, Eve. This thing that you really want badly, even though Adam and Eve had everything that they needed, they were in paradise. 
I mean, they, were, they had everything that they needed except for this one tree that God said, listen, don't eat of this tree. If you eat of this tree, you're gonna die. And, and, and Satan goes, you're not gonna die. You're not gonna die. As a matter of fact, you know what's gonna happen? Your, your eyes are gonna be open and you're gonna be able to see the differences between good and evil and you know what you will be like. Here's what he tell, told Eve. You know what you'll be like? You'll be like a God. And at, the, and at the very core of us, listen to me, at the very core of us, what our natural bend, the desire of our sinful, wretched heart is to become our own God. To be in control over our lives. We will not let any other thing tell me what to do. And then when that happens, you become your own idol, you become your own God, and you have been snared by the enemy, and your heart has gone hardened to the ways of God, and it's very difficult to get back to God. You understand? This is heavy stuff. You, this is heavy today. Because there's war over your worship. It's happening right now. It's war. And Jesus said, and, and let me just say this. In no situation, so you got Jesus in the wilderness, dire, desolate, dry, no resources available to him. And then you got Adam and Eve in paradise, have everything that they need, get everything at their disposal. Listen, both situations are different. In no situation are you ever safe from temptation. In no situation are you ever safe from temptation. And, and here, here's the thing, when it comes to temptation. Temptation has, is, is a, when it comes to spiritual or moral failure, is not caused by circumstances. It's not it nothing to do with circumstances. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't mean because you, you know, grew up in a terrible situation, a terrible home, bad, you know, lie home life or whatever, dealt a bad hand or whatever circumstances, whatever they may be, health reasons, financial reasons, lost a job. Listen, what happens is is this: spiritual and moral failure are not caused by circumstances, but by your character. No circumstances. It's not a circumstantial thing. It's a character thing. It's a character thing. So, Jesus' response is this. Verse four. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. His response to the tempter is, my God will supply what I need in his time. My God in whom I trust will give me what I need when he deems it necessary. My God will meet my needs and in him I will put my trust and I will wait on him. I will not 
push ahead. I will not do my own thing. I will not self-gratify. I will not go my own direction. I will not determine that I know what's best for me. I will wait for God to provide. That's the response. And here's where he pulls that from. Here's where he pulls that from. He's, he's quoting an Old Testament book. He's quoting Deuteronomy. And let me show you what Deuteronomy chapter number eight, verse three says. He humbled you. Boy, there's nothing wrong with that. You're in a wilderness. You're in a desolate place. You're in a hardship. You're in a, a struggle. He humbled you. No problem there. There's nothing wrong with being humble. You know what the thing, you know what the thing that makes God the most angry when it, in, in all of scripture, the thing that makes God the most upset and annoyed with us, that one thing, overarching theme, is called pride. God hates pride. Pride says, I will take control. I will do my own thing. I will grab the steering wheel of my life and I will drive it myself. That's what pride says. But he wants to humble you. There's nothing wrong with humility. By the way, those who are humble, he exalts. He exalts. And he humbled you and he let you be hungry. And But he fed you. He fed you manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. So this is a picture of the nation of Israel as they're wandering in the wilderness, and they don't know how they're going to get provision, sustenance every day, and every single day, God provided Angel food for them. That's what manna is. It's angel food for them. Who loves angel food cake? I love angel food cake. I mean, I, I would eat angel food cake every single day if I, if, I, if I could. Like, every day he's going, God, every day God's gonna provide. And what did Jesus' prayer? Jesus' prayer was this. You should pray this way. Give us this day our daily bread. God, you give me today what I need today. I'm not going to worry about tomorrow. I'm just going to know that you're going to provide for me today. Are you with me, church? This is what Jesus is saying. Listen, don't let the tempter tell you the way that God is holding out on you because God is going to be the one that provides for you every single day. Peter said it this way. I wish I had my fishing pole. I don't know what happened to it. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Peter says, cast your cares. Peter says, it's like a fishing pole. Cast your cares on him because he cares for you. He cares for you. And I love how it goes out, goes on and says this in verse four. Look at what he says. Your clothing, he says, your clothing did not wear out on you. Like they were, in for, they were in the wilderness wandering for 40 years and they never had to go to Gap. They never had to stop off at Old Navy. American Eagle was closed. They didn't have to go. I don't know where you shot. But it, 
But they never had to, they, uh, their clothes, I mean, never wore out. And it says, nor did your feet swell. Oh, I know some of you, man, you're like on your feet all day and you go home, you got to prop your feet up because you're like, oh, I was standing on my feet all day. My feet are swollen. For 40 years, they wandered in the wilderness and their feet didn't swell. What was that? That was God's provision. That was God's care of what he deemed, what he deemed of what was necessary for them. Oh, did it keep them humbled? What's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? You know why God did that? Oh, this is so important. So important that you understand this. You know why God allowed that? Here's what it says in verse two before we, we start out on verse three. This is what it says first in verse two. You shall remember all the ways which the Lord your God had led you into the wilderness these 40 years that he might humble you Nothing wrong with that. Testing you, testing you. So why does God sometimes allow you to go into the wilderness? Why does God sometimes allow you to experience some tough things? Why? Because to, so that you can know what was in your heart. Because what does God want from you? He wants your heart. What does the enemy want he wants your heart. And so sometimes you'll go through something and you'll want to meet your own need and you'll want to jump ahead of God and you'll want to, you know, fix it yourself. But God's saying, I want you to just hang on, hold on. I will provide for you because I want you to see for yourself and you won't see for yourself. This is so important. You will never see for yourself until you go through this circumstance what is actually going on in your heart. Whether you keep his commandments or not. Because that's when the rubber meets the road, right? When things get tough. When things get difficult, when things get challenging, it's then when the enemy's going, all right, hey, hey, I got a solution. I've got another way. It's not what God wants you to do. It's different than God. It's different than what God's telling you. I've got a solution for you. You can just do it. You can do it on your own. You can make it your own. You can get yourself, pick yourself up by your bootstraps on your, on your own. Listen, I've got a solution. And God's going, no, 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 hold on. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. This is for the purpose of I want you to see what's going on in your heart and that you will then determine whether you're going to follow me or not, that you're going to listen to my words or not. That's what it comes down to. The enemy made a false assumption. The false assumption was is that Jesus cared more about his physical needs than his spiritual needs. It's a false assumption. That he thought, I could just get him right now in this moment. He's hungry. 
He's been, he hasn't eaten for 40 days, 40 nights. I can get him to take matters into his own hands and therefore go against the will of his father and he can make bread out of the rocks. And he thought that what Jesus cared about more was physical needs than spiritual needs. That's not the message of Jesus. You hear me? That's not the message of Jesus. The message of Jesus is this. I know for us, we think that we will die. We're not gonna make it unless some physical needs are met. We're, we're not gonna get through another day, another moment, another situation unless this situation, this physical need is met. And Jesus has would say all throughout scripture, listen, your spiritual needs are far more important. Your spiritual needs, your sustenance of the word of God are far more important to you than even the bread that you break and you put into your belly. That the word of God, what Jesus is saying, the word of God is the most important thing that I need. And at times, you and I seem starving. You understand? I look out, I look at myself in the mirror, and I think, I'm hungry. I'm hungry. And it's not because I can't go into my pantry and dig through the vast amounts of chips and Pop-Tarts and cookies or open my refrigerator and, and pull out lunch meat and make a sandwich. It's not because of that. You get the picture? It's because I've neglected the word of God as if it's the bread that I need to survive. Many of us are hangry people. You're irritated all the time. People just get you upset. You blow a fuse at every... La Listen, you know why? Because you're spiritually starving. And this, this is like, like I'm gonna, you're, you're going to regurgitate this. Like, this is just like, okay, ah, this isn't going to last. It's just like that big meal. Remember, you know, after you eat that big meal, you're like, I'm never going to eat again. I can't eat anymore. I'm never going to eat. And then three hours later, you're like digging through, right? That's what Sunday morning is. Sunday morning is just like, ah. And by Wednesday, you don't even know it, but you're spiritually starving. You're starving. It's because the enemy wants you to believe in the false assumption that your physical needs are more important or more necessary than your spiritual needs. You need to feast on the word of God every single day. Once a week is not 
enough. Imagine you just had one meal a week. We have a lot of skinny people in here. I remember being in the Philippines a number of years ago. And you know what they would say to me, Filipinos? They would say, you're tall. Huh? They're like, you're tall. And I would politely say, um, well, it's not that I'm tall. It's just that you're really short. Is that rude? Sorry. They would laugh. You know, it's the, kind of the scenario here. You see people that are spiritually godly people, just patient people, just faithful people. And you go, wow, you're a spiritual giant. And they'll go, well, it's not that I'm a spiritual giant. It's just that you're a spiritual midget. <laughs> Should I have said that? No. Little person? Is that what you're supposed to say? I'm not, now I'm offending everybody. I'm, I apologize if I was rude there. I don't mean to be rude. I really am. But that's the reality. The reality is, is that we're... It's been 40 days. It's been 40 nights. And what you don't realize is that you're hungry. You're hungry. And you think that I just need more physical, more physical, more physical, more physical. And the enemy's going, yeah, 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 more physical. Yeah, that'd be great, that'd be great. And all the while, your heart's going, yeah, yeah, that sounds good. My heart, I'm with it. My heart, your heart's gonna go, yeah, yeah, that works, that works, that works. The tempter has snared you. And he's got you to believe that that's what's going to be enough for you. And, and Jesus is going, no, 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 no. It's the word. It's the word. It's what comes out of the mouth of God is what you need more than anything else in this life. So I got through one temptation out of three. I was supposed to get through two temptations out of three. So who knows how long this war over your worship will go. But there is a war. There's a war. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for speaking here today, challenging um, forgive me if I was offensive, hurtful. It's not my heart. Those are my heart. Um, the point I want to make is that there's war and no circumstances, no situation changes the fact that we're all susceptible to temptation. And the tempter is setting his hook and he's putting the bait in front of us. And the bait could be different. Every single person, the bait could, could look differently, but he's, he's got a full tackle box. He's got a full tackle box of options that he's looking to ensnare us with. 
We, everywhere we look, everywhere we turn, there's these temptations. Help us to remember the thing that you made important, the thing that you talked about more than anything, and that is that our spiritual needs are met. Our spiritual needs are fed, are filled from your word, what proceeds out of your mouth. More than even our own physical. God, we long for, we need more than anything, your word. Help us to be a people that just feed on it every single day. Because of technology that you created, you've given us so easy access to being able to open up your word, even on our phones, wherever we're at, whatever we're doing, we can open it up, we can go through plans. God, we thank you for creating that and giving us the opportunity to have those things at our disposal anytime. Today, just a feed, just a feed, just a snack, just a take in, just to have a meal, just a, as, as our provision that we have in our life that we need every, every single day. That was the response of Jesus. That ought to be our response to the tempter. Help us to live that out. Help us to make that a priority every single day. That was the resource that Jesus relied on. That's the resource that we can rely on. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.